0: The sermon this afternoon was prepared by Reverend E. Harris, Reformed Church, Liberated Netherlands. In response to the sermon, we will sing together from Psalm 49, stanza 1, 2, and 4. So let us now open our Bibles and read the text for this sermon, Ecclesiastes 11. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days it will you will find it again. Give portions to seven, yes to eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If the clouds are full of water, they pour rain upon the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there will it lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind, or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and at evening let not your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that or whether both will do equally well. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart, and cast off the troubles of your body, for youth and vigor are meaningless." Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you keep on saying that everything is meaningless, you will soon be known as a pessimist. This value judgment has been applied to the preacher as well. Many people take him for a downhearted, melancholy philosopher who does not see much of a future in the state of the world's affairs. But is this really the truth? The preacher has looked about him and saw what is happening in the world and in the lives of its people. And on more than just one occasion, he arrives at the gloomy conclusion that just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain has he that toiled for the wind? How transient is human life. And how hopeless is all of man's toil and exertion? If you come right down to it, everything remains the same. The circular movement of life cycle seems to keep on going, endlessly and tediously. Do we recognize the preacher's findings, congregation? Do his gloomy conclusions not gain relevance in our own days? Just take a look at what people are busying themselves with. How often have they not tried to make our existence attractive? Several social systems have been designed just for the purpose of making mankind happy and satisfied. In our own days, we have witnessed the collapse of the communist system in Eastern Europe, a system that was built up with enormous energy and cost, and it had to be torn down. And what, ultimately, will take its place? Is it not true that our so-called Western freedom has proved to be a cover-up for a huge accumulation of corruption, injustice, and godlessness? And what about us, ourselves, Will our attitude be that of a group of dispirited, resigned onlookers who passively wait to see how things will develop? It is possible that you get so totally wrapped up in everything that is happening that you forget your own task, your calling as a Christian. This conduct leads to a real threat for the church. By means of modern media, we can become spectators of what is happening worldwide. The preacher in his day was unable to do this. But the person who can only observe without the trust that faith provides will indeed get bogged down and stuck. This is the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes that it puts on its agenda. The preacher is more than a philosopher since, after all, he is a preacher. This name proclaims his office, and it speaks volumes. He is a teacher of wisdom who instructs the congregation of God. The preacher speaks while being led by the Holy Spirit. He speaks with a view to the future. While he is wrestling with the riddles of God's sovereign rule, this preacher steers the congregation in the direction that leads toward the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, who is to come. In this capacity, he also addresses the Emmanuel congregation about its attitude toward life. We shall further examine this in the chapter chosen for our text. The preacher instructs God's congregation, which is on its way to the return of Christ, to meet life head-on in the confidence of faith. This they are able to do by trusting in God's power, by enjoying God's light, and by taking into account God's judgment. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. These words from Ecclesiastes are well known, but they are a bit puzzling as well. The preacher here is using metaphorical language. Verse 1 is not an invitation to throw a stack of bread slices into the lake. Not at all. What is meant by bread in this passage is the source of your livelihood. It's all about making a living, about your possessions. It's about your physical energies. In short, it means the whole gift of life potentialities that God has endowed us with. There are many people who took verse 1 as a call to administer charity. In other words, a summons to give generously to those who are needy. Certainly, this kind of giving will not put you into bankruptcy. On the contrary, it will be richly rewarded. Still, it would be incorrect to limit the preacher's exhortation to being charitable. What we read here deals with a call that is more general. It is a call to work with the means and the gifts God has endowed us with. The preacher sounds a warning that we should not give in to defeatism or just plain give up. Instead, we should buckle down and invest our energies and the means that are at our disposal. This will involve a certain amount of risk-taking much like that of a ship owner who has invested his money in ships. He has to let them go out on the high seas. And it may seem at times that they will become playthings of the ocean waves, casting your bread upon the waters, what will become of it. Yet take courage and do it anyway. See your calling and follow it up. This is what the preacher is telling the congregation. In the next verses, he enlarges on this exhortation. It is a good thing to work as a child of God in his service, no doubt about that, but not with one's mind in neutral. We should not act recklessly and without wisdom. We must be ready to do battle in the kingdom of God. But we have to work that out with the best strategy. Systematic planning is a must for God's children who are going to be actively involved. But verse 3 and 5 add to this that you can't stop misfortune or disappointment from coming your way. When the gray rain clouds cover the sky, it is bound to rain. Once a tree has fallen down, there it lies. What is done is done. But no matter how threatening and uncertain the future may look, it should not bring about that you no longer dare to meet life. Head on. So, do not give in to fatalistic ideas. Fatalism fills people with anxieties, and it will stunt them. The preacher says, however, that we are not victims of fatalistic rule, but that you are subject to God's sovereign counsel, his divine counsel which stands forever. That is what verse 5 is about, and there lies the actual foundation for the exhortation in verses 1 and 6. This is so, since there you are having to do with God who made everything. Granted, verse 5 tells us as well that God's counsel is hidden from us, What the preacher mentions here is completely in accord with the words of Moses who says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The day of tomorrow is hidden from us and what will happen tomorrow is known by God alone. Just as little as we can understand God's work of creation in the womb of the mother, so little will we be able to grasp the course of God's sovereign rule Over our lives. For God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and neither are our ways His ways. Yet this is not the end of the matter. The element of mystery that is present in whatever comes our way can be most distressing for us. Why is this? It is because we consider it to be utterly senseless, and we cannot figure out the logic of it. Our insight fails us, but this we know. God created everything, and he still upholds and governs it all. This is not done haphazardly, but according to his eternal counsel and providence. At this point, all of you should realize again that the one who speaks here is the preacher who is addressing the congregation of God. This was the congregation that looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. In other words, they were were the church people who knew the plan of God's counsel to be focused on the fullness of time. Firmly established in faith, the church of the old dispensation understood that he who created and upholds everything will also be true to his promises and will fulfill them. There is the great promise made in paradise. There is a promise to Judah about the arrival of Shiloh and the promise to David about the arrival of David's great son. This God, brothers and sisters, is not a fickle, dark power that is out to frighten his people. Although at times it may seem that the powers of darkness have full sway. In the days of the preacher, things looked indeed dark for Israel. How was the real situation for the congregation that expected the coming of the Messiah? From the way the preacher sketches this situation, we do not get a very flourishing picture. For how intense is that expectation in faith during those last few centuries before the coming of Christ? <clears throat> it is quite evident that there was a great deal of apathy and indifference. Just take a look at the world they lived in. What was built up by one was torn down by another. The godless are honored and respected. They have it made, so to speak. The righteous, on the other hand, have to suffer for it. For them, reason enough to adopt the fatalistic view of life. Still, the preacher emphasizes that it is not a dark power that is in control of everything. Instead, it is God who makes everything. It is he who wants to be the shepherd of his people for the sake of his son, whom he sent his anointed king. And so today congregation which is looking forward to the coming of Christ is the position or, or is in a position to know this more clearly yet the creator of heaven and earth governs all things through his son jesus christ today we are on our way to the second coming of christ and while we have closed the 21st century and are well into the 21st century we can still understand the preacher's somber meditations. There seems to be plenty of reason for fatalism, for what is so different today than was of days gone by? What has really changed? Throughout all the centuries, what has been the result of all this human endeavor? This modern age we live in, it too is full of vanity and futility, And there are many people, indeed, who live in casual indifference. Only in faith will you have the courage to stand up to life. In church, you don't get a call to hide yourself in a place of shelter because times are so uncertain. You don't have to look for a shelter because you have been provided with a shelter. God, who made everything, is our refuge and our shelter. He is our Father for the sake of Christ his Son. Though tomorrow may be hidden, he who controls the universe holds also the day of tomorrow in his hand. Our God continues to work, and therefore we are enabled to continue with our duties, each one of us, with his or her individual abilities and... (coughs) potentialities given by God. The book of Ecclesiastes seems to carry the imprint of vanity, yet it is the very book in which the preacher tells us to accept our calling in life in an unwavering faith. You should know that doing our work in faith is never in vain. It is never vanity. No, we have the promise that it will be blessed. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. It is for that very reason that he who rules, he, the shepherd of Israel, gives us the guarantee that the work performed in faith is work that is never performed in vain. It will not be fruitless. This is how Christ puts it to his disciples. For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay every man for what he has done. Whatever may still seem to come across somewhat dim in the preacher's words, Paul is able to say explicitly in the concluding words of 1 Corinthians 15, In the light of the resurrection of Christ, he writes, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We shall now take a look at another step found in Ecclesiastes 11. The preacher is, at this point, going to pay special attention to the young people, and this indeed we shall see in the second point. The preacher says, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. If you have been thinking that the preacher could not be anything else but pessimistic, you certainly have to think again when you read verse 7. For he says that there is a good reason to accept life cheerfully. The light he is referring to has been made by God as well. The light that still spreads over life is sweet. It is a gift from him. Who is the fountain of life and in thy light do we see light. As we read in Psalm 36 verse 9. There was a time that life was filled with pure light. That was in paradise. Life at that time was unblemished joy because of God, who shows us the true light. Ever since those days, our life has acquired so many dark stains. It would seem as if a dark curtain has been drawn over it. Clearly, perhaps more than anything else, it was the dark shadows of existence that the preacher has taken note of. God made everything, and he saw that it was good. But now a deep, dark shadow lies over the world. As a result of sin, the world now wears a veil of darkness. In the book of Ecclesiastes, you run constantly into the darker side of life, because the dark shadows of death are everywhere. When you judge our existence by what you see, you will have to agree with Ecclesiastes 9 verse 3 that one fate comes to all. Also the hearts of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. This prospect of death has many people trying to make the most of it right now. In a live-for-the-day mentality, Crowds of those who constantly pursue happiness are on the march with only one goal in mind. Do whatever you like. Just do it. Because before you know it, it will be too late. But, and this is somewhat curious, brothers and sisters, while we listen to what the preacher has to say at this moment, he too seems to come out with something quite like live for the day. Life is good. And when you receive days of happiness, go ahead and enjoy them. The young people are addressed in this message. He addresses them individually. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. You, young people of this church, be aware that the fact of being young, this beautiful time span in your lives, will pass away all too quickly. The springtime of your life opens up many opportunities which you will no longer be able to enjoy later in life. So, you may experience those good times with your eyes wide open and enjoy the things you find attractive. But wait a moment. Is this not strange to read this of all things in the Bible? Is it not selling out or being in league with The advertising tactics of the media? No, it does not. And why not, you may ask? Well, because we have to keep in mind who it is that is saying these things. He is the preacher, and he is addressing a congregation that is looking forward to the Messiah, the Christ. A congregation in accordance with the word of God's covenant. And when this is truly the case, Well, their life can be enjoyed, for the light of God's grace shines upon it. Their life will be bathing in the light of God's comforting presence, all for the sake of Christ's merits. If there is one place where our youth can be told the words of good cheer, it will be the church. It will be in the Advent congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it was already in the old dispensation before his first coming. And so it is now today, for we await Christ's return. When you, in faith, look forward to the coming of Christ, you will be able to see this light that is spread out over your existence. Today already, this light shines in spite of the existing darkness. How often must we be reminded of the distress that creation is suffering. How many more disappointments will you have to experience in your own lives and will be suffered in the lives of many others? But the greatest happiness in life that cannot be taken away from us because our Redeemer lives and will return. He is the one who has taken upon himself our curse. He is the one who wrestled with the most heart-rendering why question of all time. That was when his agonizing question welled up out of the deepest darkness, because of our sins. There Christ suffered bitterly, so that the light could once again become sweet for his congregation, so that life could once more be enjoyed as it was meant to be. At this point, congregation, you will have sensed that verses eight and nine do not give us an invitation to let go, to cast off all our restraints. For we are not given a free ticket to indulge in all of our desires. The words "to walk in the ways of your heart" do not mean that you are in free; that you are free to indulge in your wrong desires. No. What is meant here is to walk in the ways where you feel right at home as a child of God. You are allowed to be all fired up as far as your ideals are concerned. But they should be ideals firmly established in faith. Namely, a faith that is looking forward to the future. It is not so that the history of the world is going to end up and a great nothingness, which would indeed be the absolute and ultimate vanity. No, history will end up in the perfect completion of God's kingdom, which will be everlasting. That is why the young people of Christ's congregation dare to face life, and that is why they are able to enjoy it cheerfully. Because they will try to make themselves useful in doing what God, in his grace, has given them to do. And that is why, too, we will all be able to face this life cheerfully. This world is the world of God, our God. And Christ is its rightful heir. And through faith, you are co-heirs with him. Through faith you must also take into account God's judgment which is on its way. We shall briefly consider this issue. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 9b gives us proof once more that the preacher did not get trapped in some theory of a perpetually repeating cycle or some buddhaistic idea like it far from it the preacher draws our attention to the judgment that is to come because that is how it will end every human being will have to appear before god's judgment seat and will have to give account of all his deeds the book of ecclesiastes is like one long drawn out cry of longing for the arrival of the messianic age But inevitably, the arrival of the messianic king will bring final judgment closer to all of us as well. Christ comes. He comes to judge the peoples in righteousness and equity. So does verse 9b not put a damper on what just came before? Does the preacher not take back what he first let us have? No, that's not the way it is, congregation. Again, what is at work here is this. We see an office bearer at work, and his goal is to keep the congregation on the right track. Their faces should be turned toward him who is coming. The judgment of the coming king will be upon all people, and that goes for the people of the church as well. But with this difference, the congregation that expects the coming of Christ knows that it is going to happen. We are in the process of preparation because it has been officially announced the church has preachers who point to who point this out to us in the proclamation of the word this is the great this is a great privilege indeed and it means that conversion is obtainable the preacher is a herald his words bring about what his list his words bring about, That his listeners will turn around and start looking in the direction of the great judge who is to come. I said turn around advisedly because that is precisely what conversion means. Now things are going to be completely different in your life. Through faith, you are going to live differently from those people who do not know God, they carry around heavy burdens which God did not demand them to carry. There are burdens of sorrow and the heavy weight of anxiety to cash in on earthly happiness, which will not last, and which is always uncertain. Through faith you will learn to enjoy, without anxieties, the good things God gives you each day. You remember how Christ himself put this into words for his congregation which is awaiting his return. We read in Matthew 6, Do not worry about your life. And, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Worrying about life here is certainly a heavy burden that you can do without when you are on your way to the coming of Christ. If you have the love of your heavenly Father in you, you will not cling to the sinful cravings of this world. This is what the apostle John says, and you can find it in 1 John 2:15 through 17. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now is the time to make a radical break with all that tempts us to sin. The power to do this is available because Christ himself is busy restoring our lives. He is doing this by means of his Holy Spirit and his word. He still provides preachers even today. The time will come in which it will be revealed that the lives lived in Christ and his congregation shall not have been lived in vain. And that is why we look forward to the day of his coming with great expectation. And thereafter, we shall in the fullest possible measure enjoy God's promises in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.